It's the New Mercury Podcast, and here's your host, Kyle A. Lohmeyer. Welcome back to the New Mercury Podcast. I am Kyle A. Lohmeyer, and am the entire staff of the NewMercury.com, which means I am the one ultimately responsible for how awful these podcasts have sounded. Hopefully, the third time is a charm. So the first two episodes were devoted to explaining the way I view the world that I'm pretty sure we've all been lied to for all of our lives about the nature and and function of government, and that those lies are brought to us and reinforced by our education and the news media. I at times compared the government or the state to to something like a cult. I'm not the, certainly not the first or the only one to make that comparison. I just tend to find it to be very apt. Like I said last time, most people just get very annoyed when folks like me say the things I tend to say. It's as though I'm insulting their deeply held religious beliefs, and in many ways I am. The similarities between government and a religion or a cult are pretty numerous when you think about it. Both usually have a charismatic leader. Well, I'm sure some people find Trump to be charismatic in some weird way. Uh, Most people are born into their religions, just like faith and trust in government is passed down generation to generation. Both have all sorts of ornamental trappings and costumes, like ceremonial robes, neat hats, flags, banners, police uniforms, things like that. Both require unquestioning devotion from their followers. Both tend to require a regular tribute be paid from the supplicant's own property. Uh, The government calls it taxes. Christians call it a tithe. Scientologists joining the Sea Organization sign a billion-year contract. So you get the idea. So naturally, to someone who spent their entire lives believing the government's lies, the things I'm saying are pretty annoying. That's understandable. But should one come to accept the things I believe as being true, it's then also understandable that they might feel a bit cast adrift. It's not every day one upends the way they've looked at the world for their entire lives and unlearns everything they've been taught to believe. And so if I don't believe in the government's lies, and if I don't believe in the need for states and governments at all even, and as I mentioned last week, am an atheist, what the hell do I believe in? Well, that's... The question I asked myself ages ago, back when I was still writing for a small weekly newspaper, back when those were more of a thing, and they occasionally let me write an opinion column, which was always great fun. If you want to see how fast your voicemail can fill up with angry phone calls, try excoriating a bunch of small-town conservatives for voting to enact a constitutional amendment to ban gay marriage back in 2004. Anyway, it occurred to me back then, if I'm going to write opinion pieces on politics, I should probably nail down exactly what it is I believe and why. And when I boiled it all down, got it distilled to 200 proof, I was left with the simple conviction that each and every individual human being on this planet owns his or her own body outright. That that is true then became the basis of everything else, the perspective from which I view each individual issue. And I think that's why having a philosophy is actually important. It grounds a person and gives meaningful context to their views on issues. The polarization of the majority of the American electorate specifically those inclined to bother to participate in the charade and vote, has created two distinct camps by design. When you look at the views those two distinct camps tend to hold with alarming uniformity, you see that both sides are rife with philosophical contradictions. The left claims to be open-minded and tolerant, except for when it comes to whether I want to own guns, use plastic straws, keep my property that I earned, drive a V8, etc. And the right wants a small government, just so long as it's big enough to keep out the brownish people and make women carry every pregnancy to term while bombing the piss out of the rest of the planet. I don't think the fact that the two media-created camps are philosophically contradictory was an accident either. If you put all the true small government ideas on one side and all the totalitarian ones on the other, 
then that latter party theoretically would be a much tougher sell. The system we have forces Americans to pick and choose their priorities. I mean, you still can't at all be free. But where would you like the least oppression? Do you really think gays should be allowed to get married? Well, then you're going to have to sacrifice your guns and vote Democrat. Do you want to stop women having abortions? Well, then you're going to have to accept people getting locked into cages for having a plant too and vote Republican. This odd dichotomy has had the intended effect of keeping poorer Americans dependent upon the ruinous promises of Democrats. And it's also helped keep in place the ongoing wars against things like drugs and terrorism that Republicans tend to like. Now, theoretically, the Libertarian Party offers a platform for those who want a truly small government, but we see how the duopoly of the two major parties has worked to keep the Libertarian Party and all other third parties very, very distant thirds. And so going back to the divvied-up positions of the two major parties, being in favor of gay marriage was a decidedly Democrat position to have back in 2004. And when I wrote that column back then, it wasn't because I was a Democrat or I watched a lot of CNN or was particularly moved by liberalism generally. Exactly, none of those things were true of me then or now. I didn't write it because I felt bad for those gay couples who couldn't get married but wanted to. I mean, I did feel bad for them, but feeling bad wasn't the motivation for that column. Feeling bad wasn't even the motivation for my opposition to the amendment that then motivated the column. I wrote that column because I was and am very much convinced that every human owns his or her own body outright. As such, it seemed to me rather unconscionable that the government could prevent two humans who voluntarily wanted to form some sort of civil union and call it a marriage from doing so, that the government would use violence to prevent it happening. And it is that same fundamental unwavering belief in individual self-ownership that guides all my views on individual issues to this day. This is why people like me tend to confound those whose entire understanding of politics and philosophy is framed by and rooted in the two-party duopoly. To them, it seems like I'm cherry-picking a little from column A and a little from column B. What isn't apparent to them, because of the way they've been taught to see the world, is that my positions on individual issues all err on the side of individual rights, be it an individual person's right to own guns or abort a pregnancy, because each individual human being owns themselves. All governments, being themselves just armed gangs with a monopoly on the legal initiation of violence, necessarily violate individual self-ownership and the fundamental rights that flow from the fact each human owns themselves. Even supposedly good forms of government do this, like democracy. Democracy is good, right? I mean, it must be. They told us it is in school. The various state-level bans on gay marriage that were passed by ballot initiative in the early 2000s, though, serve as a stellar example of just how awful democracy really is. The idea that if 50.1% of your neighbors say you can't get married to the person you want to marry, and then you just can't, and that's totally legit, is objectively absurd. It's mob rule given a veneer of formality and legitimacy. No one can ever have a higher claim to a person than that person his or herself. This fact doesn't change no matter how many other humans decide otherwise. Now, of course, the majority can, in fact, and in practice, deny people rights. But that doesn't make doing so legitimate ever, under any circumstances, it doesn't even matter what sort of costume the person violating the other's rights is wearing. No initiation of violence is ever legitimate. And remember, violence is the essence of government, its soul-defining characteristic and the method by which it accomplishes everything it does. Of course, this strange way of thinking that I'm describing runs contrary to the things government taught us in school. We aren't really taught, for instance, in any meaningful way, where our rights as American persons come from. We're taught about the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, but even that is a very shallow examination on the subject. But then, the Bill of Rights has got to be a tough thing for the government to teach kids about. 
particularly since the government routinely violates all ten of those amendments. Well, okay, I take it back. I am unaware of any soldiers being sent to live in people's houses against the homeowner's wishes. So there's that. The police can just kick in your door whenever they want for no apparent reason, but so far the government has kept its promise to not quarter soldiers in our homes. And that is all the Bill of Rights is, a promise, and a flimsy one at that, for the government to not violate some of the rights all humans on Earth already have. Rights are not permissions granted from government. Government doesn't create rights. I mean, here's another example of seeing government as some sort of religion. So you get a bunch of men together in a room, they write some things down on pieces of paper, hold a special incantation, and if there's enough utterances of the magic word I versus nay, then those pieces of paper get put into a holy building called the National Archives and have the power to give humans rights, if those humans live within some lines arbitrarily drawn upon a map of the North American continent. The magic only works here. Am I the only one who thinks all that sounds really stupid and absurd? What really happens is that those same goofy rituals take place so as to convince us of the legitimacy of whatever comes next. And what comes next isn't ever the government granting us a new right we didn't have before. There was no magic in the pen that the governor of the Commonwealth of Northern Mariana Islands used recently to sign into law a bill that totally legalized marijuana. The sheet of paper he signed had not in any way been ensorcelled to give it magic powers above and beyond any other regular 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper. All that really happened is that the government of the Commonwealth of Northern Mariana Islands simply agreed to stop violating the right of the people of those islands to smoke all the damn marijuana they want because they own their bodies outright and therefore can rather obviously have the right to smoke pot with them if they so choose to. That, dear listeners, is what government does, what all governments do. They violently suppress rights all humans already have by virtue of being human beings who own their own bodies. Okay? That's why if we at home repeat the incantation and get a majority of people who happen to be in the room to say I, a sheet of paper that says Steve can smoke weed won't keep Steve out of jail in most places in the USA still. There's no magic. There's just a very well-established armed gang out there that is very good at violently suppressing rights the rest of us that we all have already. Otherwise, if this weren't true and all humans don't have the same intrinsic rights, then we'd be left to have to believe that human beings who happen to have been born upon an island in the North Atlantic known as Great Britain very simply were born without the right to own an AR-15 semi-automatic modern sporting rifle. Are we to assume there's some, some sort of defect in the people of that region that isn't present in humans born on the other side of the Atlantic? Well, within the lines marked USA, anyway. Or are we to believe powerful magics gave us humans in the USA more rights in that regard than virtually every other human on Earth? That's pretty silly, isn't it? What's obviously the case is that every human in England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, and the Republic of Ireland all have the absolute right to own whatever sort of rifle they want. But their governments, being armed gangs with monopolies on the legal initiation of violence, use that monopoly to take that right away from the people of Britannia and Ireland. The right to own necessary and relevant tools for self-defense is a natural outgrowth of the fact every human owns his or her own body outright. As the sole owners of our bodies, it is in our interest and is our responsibility to keep them safe from damage, including that damage which another human may evilly choose to willfully inflict upon us. Of course, governments being just gangs with a monopoly on legal violence, they have a strong interest in also maintaining a strict monopoly on the best tools of violence available. So while the federal government has a stockpile of thermonuclear bombs rated in megatons, that is, how many millions of tons of TNT would be required to produce a blast of the same power, 
people in California have to take their AR-15s apart in order to reload them. Now, as I said last time, the authors of the Constitution were conducting an experiment as to whether or not a government can be bound by its own rules and an armed citizenry. And the results are in. It can't. But, in so conducting the experiment, they did create the happy side effect of leaving this section of North America just awash in interesting firearms. That's how Americans came to be able to own guns the rest of the world generally can't. Most governments are much older than the American one, and they were banning swords back when swords were state-of-the-art. America just wasn't born into serfdom the way the, most of the rest of the old world was. Just like today, the poor beleaguered residents of Great Britain absolutely have the right to post the dankest memes imaginable, memes that are just mean-spirited and too soon, that their government arrests more than nine people per day for posting, quote, offensive things on social media doesn't mean Britons don't have the right to express themselves freely. It just means that their government is using its monopoly on legal violence to punish those who use that right. All people have the same rights. All governments exist to repress those rights to varying degrees. That is how it all actually works. Okay then, so what's the point? If we pretend that I am correct and rights are intrinsic to humans by virtue of the fact we each own our own body, so what? If you're listening to this in Great Britain, suddenly gaining this knowledge will in no way allow you to own a modern sporting rifle. So don't go rushing off to Tesco to see if they've got AR-15s on the shelf. They still don't. So what's the point of looking at things this way? By virtue of the fact government can and does violently suppress what rights we're allowed to exercise and how, aren't they sort of the de facto dispenser of human rights then? Isn't this all just a pointless navel-gazing exercise? Well, no, it isn't pointless. It's important to understand the nature and origin of human rights because without that philosophical grounding, people can and do get very, very confused as to what rights actually are. Ask any 10 Bernie Sanders supporters if healthcare is a right, and all 10 will loudly say, yes, healthcare is a right. And if you don't run away quickly enough, they'll also tell you how housing, food, water, and wireless high-speed internet are all human rights, too. And sure, why not? If you believe a right is something government can grant you, then it is perversely logical to believe things like healthcare and food and shelter are human rights, too. After all, the government can furnish these things to people for free, just like it theoretically costs nothing to exercise your right to free speech. So, obviously, those things must be human rights, too, right? No. When you understand that rights come from the fact all humans own their own bodies, then we see the Bernie Sanders supporters' arguments start to fall apart. If healthcare is a human right, then, according to burnouts, as I call them, anyone should just be able to walk into a clinic or hospital and get whatever care they require without having to pay anything for it. This, then, would require the doctors, nurses, and all of the support staff at the clinic or hospital to perform labor without being compensated just because they were asked to. But if a doctor owns his or her own body, how can another individual have a higher claim to the labor the doctor's body performs than the doctor his or herself? They can't. Of course, the Bernie Sanders supporter doesn't expect the doctor to work for free. What the burnout wants or expects, is that the armed gang that is government will steal more from all of us, just a little bit yet more of our labor and the compensation therefrom, to pay the doctors and nurses, etc., on behalf of the patient receiving the care. To them, this is fair and just. Objectively, however, we run into the exact same moral dilemma we did when the burnout was just enslaving the clinic employees directly. A patient in Peoria has no more higher claim to my body and my property than they do the doctors at the clinic there in Peoria. They have the same right to take my money to pay for their health care as they do to force the doctor to treat them at gunpoint without compensation. That is, none at all. Obviously, health care isn't a right. Food isn't a right. 
You have a right to access food. You can grow it on your property. You can trade your property to another in exchange for a cheeseburger. But no one has the right to just have others labor and furnish food for them because, as it turns out, there just isn't much in nature that's a ready-to-eat food. Dandelions. Those that think you can pretty much eat the whole plant right out of the ground, no processing required. Hell, I invite all the progressives to just come over and have at it and then help themselves to all the ones they can find in my backyard. Try the clover, too. After every tragic school shooting, the left gets their faces on CNN while the victims' bodies are still warm and talks about how kids have a, quote, right to go to school and not get shot. As if anyone were suggesting otherwise. What they're really demanding, always, is that the government step in and use its monopoly on legal violence to take away rights from those of us who exercise our rights to own tools of self-defense. Because somehow banning guns will stop school shootings from ever happening the same way banning heroin stopped overdose deaths. So that's why it's ultimately important to understand the origin and nature of human rights. Because there is a concerted effort in politics and in the media to confuse and confound what rights are and how they came about. It's working, too. The proof is right there in the surging popularity of the so-called progressive wing of the Democratic Party. Candidates like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in New York and Andrew Gillum in Florida have made their rising careers by telling the gullible that it's their human right to have things like health care and, quote, affordable rent. Never mind that the funding for those things, that is, the real, physical, tangible product of real human beings' labor, must first be violently extracted from that human being by an armed gang in the name of progress. Because somehow it's everyone's right to live at the expense of other humans. The government said so. And of course, why wouldn't the government teach the kiddos that this, this ridiculous notion that governments grant rights? That is just one of the many self-serving lies the government has taught us. It's important to peel away those lies, to tear off each successive veil that obscures what government is and does. You have to first know and understand an enemy before you can defeat it. And the first step in that is seeing it clearly and for what it is. And I guess that is the whole point of bothering to see government for what it is, in seeing states for what they are. The hope of being able to defeat them. What? Defeat the government? Now I've lost it, right? I've gone around the bend sitting here talking about overthrowing the federal government of the United States of America. That's not what I'm talking about. You can't violently overthrow the government. Violence is the government's game. They are better at it than anyone ever in the history of all humankind. They have an entire worldwide apparatus set up to do violence to any individual nation or human anywhere on earth at a moment's notice. Point. Click. Drone strike on a wedding party in Yemen. Boom. Dead. So I honestly don't know how to cure the cancer that is government. I have some ideas, though. They all tend to revolve around a disengagement. More of an evolution than a revolution. Like, basically, what if we all stop playing along? Like we did with MySpace. Remember MySpace? Probably a lot of you don't. Ask your parents or maybe older siblings. Now, okay, social media programs don't, platforms rather, don't hold people at gunpoint. But even the government only has so many guns and people to point them at the rest of us, we still outnumber them. What if we all just stop playing along? What if we stop pretending a costume gives a cop the right to initiate violence? Stop pretending black robes gives a judge the right to ruin lives with the bang of a gavel. Stop pretending words on pieces of paper give an armed gang the right to steal from us or to lock us into cages for actions that hurt no one else's person or property. Of course, <laughs> convincing everyone to stop paying taxes, answering jury duty summons or court dates and everything else is going to be a real challenge. Hell, people still yell at me for rolling stop signs in neighborhoods even when it's abundantly clear no other cars are coming from any other direction. But the government's red octagon still says I'm supposed to put more wear on my brakes and clutch. It's the law.
So yeah, Sisyphus had it easy. Well, like I said last time, though, I don't know what else to do, and I have the time and server space to do this. So that's what I'm going to do. And if there's still a human being listening at this point, well, that's awesome. Thank you. But for right now, I'm going to stop misusing this Shure SM57 microphone. But I do hope you'll tune in next week for another rambling diatribe. In the meantime, if you're so inclined, please check out the website, www.thenewmercury.com. There's all sorts of blog entries there, many with some cleverly photoshopped illustrations. And there's the buffoonery page, which is just a collection of original memes. You can also like and follow The New Mercury on Facebook, and maybe someday on Twitter and Instagram. Just not today. All right, that's it for now. Thanks, everyone, and until next time, be dangerous.